So with all those things in mind, let's go to Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. We are starting a new series this week called Investment Strategies. For the next three weeks, we're going to be following the lectionary, which is this prescribed reading that's on a three-year cycle, and if you do it every week, you'll have read most of the Bible in three years. We don't use it every week in here. We use it some weeks. Um, sometimes Michael will use it. Robin's loves the lectionary. We don't have to use it, but it is a very helpful guide. And so we will be following it the next three weeks, but it's somewhat ironic that I am preaching and writing a series about investment strategies when I'm probably the least qualified person in this room to give you any type of strategy for your investments. Um, it is kind of absurd. In this room, we have bank presidents and management, wealth management professionals and people who study the stock market for a living. And compared to me, the guy who a few years ago, I looked at my pay stub and said, who is Ira and why am I giving him so much of my money? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I really feel it. My dad, my dad, who's here with my mom, they're here this weekend. He keeps trying to help me, you know, learn more about, you know, investments and finance and or finance, depending on how you say it. And um, and, and he he wants to help me learn all these things. But I said it could be in Mandarin Chinese, and I probably understand it better. I'm like the probably the last person in this room from whom you should take wealth management. Um, advice, but uh, we take different career paths based on our strengths and our weaknesses, and I talk a lot, so I thought, hey, I should be a preacher, um, and so I thought, you know, like, my strength is to preach, and my role as a preacher is to talk about the Bible, not just my own opinions, um, not just about what is right and what is wrong according to how I see the world, but to illuminate and to bring to light scripture, this holy text. Every week I come before you, I try my best to make sure I'm reading the Bible as thoroughly as I can and bringing forth a word from God's book for us to communicate these truths. And we just spent a full month and a half journeying through the entire book of James. And it was convicting, and it was intense, and it was fun in a way. And writing those sermons, I was like, all right, well, what's next? And so I looked at the lectionary, and I was like, well, what, what's everybody else studying right now? And it turns out that it's this series of three weeks journeying through Luke chapter 12. I said, that's fun. Let, let's do that. And so I looked at it and I read these texts and we read our first one this morning. And next week we will journey through verses 22 through 34. And in the last week, verses 49 through 56. I encourage you, go home, read Luke chapter 12. You will be prepared for next week's sermon. 
you will be able to reflect on this week's sermon. And as I read through it and I was reading like, how are we supposed to hear these words, I saw, you know what? Jesus is giving us his investment strategy. It's not so much that he's telling us how we should be investing our retirement funds or maybe specifically the 21st century IRA 401k matters, but he is talking about investment nonetheless, specifically how we should invest our lives. Three particular areas of our lives we're gonna focus on these next three weeks are how do we invest our presence? How do we invest our possessions? And where are the places in which we can invest our passions? So today we're gonna talk about our presence, not presents, like the things I, you know, I like to receive at Christmas time, but our presence, how we can invest next week, our possessions, and finally, our passion. So I hope you'll be with us three, three weeks as we journey through Luke chapter 12 together. And today's sermon is gonna be very simple. It's got one point, one simple point. And taken seriously, if you experience this, if you take it to heart, can transform yours and so many others' lives. And I'm gonna go ahead and give it to you up front as opposed to holding it to like the climactic ending. Here's the one thing to take with you. So it simmers in your mind as we explore our scripture. My, one of my mentors, Dr. Carl Stegall, said this to me one time and I've never forgotten it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I would like to preach from that this morning. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Will you pray with me as we begin our sermon this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I'm gonna be a total dad for a moment, okay? You know, I wanna tell you a story about August. And people said, you know, preachers have kids, so we have sermon material. And it was true. I have like, she is a sermon illustration machine. Um, she is so much fun, but we can't decide if she's introverted or extroverted yet because she likes having alone time at her crib in the morning and in the evening. But more than that, she loves being around people and she loves to show off in a crowd. I have no idea where she got it from. <laughs> Probably her mother. Um, but she, she likes to make people laugh. She likes to sing and dance. She loves the word no right now. Any parents of toddlers, like no is a real thing, isn't it? No. August, you want a bite? No. Are you all done? No. No. But she, um, she, she doesn't like more than anything almost in the world. She hates it when anyone leaves a room. Anytime we're together, particularly if it's her mom or me, but really anybody, she wants everybody to be together all the time. And anytime somebody leaves, she has a come apart. Like we were eating at Merco Pasta the other night, and it was me and my mom, my dad, August, and Brianna. And dad got up to go wash his hands. And August will like had a conniption. She's like, no, you cannot leave the table. We're having friendship time. You cannot, like she lost it. And then we gave her some, I put a piece of pasta in her, but gave her a noodle. She's like, I'm good, food. Food trumps people. Um, but he came back and she was so excited. She was so excited because everybody was back together. She also thinks it's important that when we are together, we are focused on her. Do you have any children like that? This morning, I was reviewing my sermon. This is really what's happening this morning. I was sitting in the den reviewing my sermon, and Brianna and August were sitting on the couch right there, and, and Brianna was scrolling through Facebook, and August was not about it. She's like, hey, I'm here, and you need to focus on me. And so she like screams. Like, I'm looking at my screen, Brianna's looking at hers, and she's like, put those down and focus 
on me. It is amazing how a 16-month-old can embody the realities of our scripture text this morning more so than those of us who might have heard them dozens of times. How she understands presence matters. And we are toge- when we are together with one another, we ought to be focused and present in the moment with each other. In this chapter, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd that says of thousands of people. And he's just finished a confrontation with the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the Jewish religious leaders. They just had this encounter, which happens a lot in the Gospels. The Pharisees and scribes are often kind of set up as the antagonist to Jesus, the protagonist. And so they've just had this conversation, and on the heels of that, we get chapter 12, which is where Jesus is teaching thousands of people about the realities of the kingdom of God. And more so than just giving them information, it's set up as a response and a reaction and a contrast to what the scribes and the Pharisees tout as religious law and the ways of being. Jesus is often taking social norms and flipping them on their heads. We call Jesus, you know, he's bringing about the upside down kingdom in a way. And he's doing that again here whenever he's asked to consult on a legal matter. See, Jewish religious law was the same as civic law. It'd be as if like the Methodist book of discipline was the same as the Constitution. In ancient Israel, civic law, religious law, they were one thing. And so they come to Jesus, who's a holy man and a you know, an expert on legal code, and they ask him to settle a matter. And a man says to Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He says, essentially, you know, my my father has passed away, and the inheritance went to my older brother, but I want it divided because the law says it, everything goes to the eldest child and the younger child saying, no, 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 you should have him divide it with me. And Jesus says to him, who appointed me to be your arbiter? And then he looks at them and to the entire crowd and he says to everybody, you should guard yourself against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he does the most Jesus-y thing that Jesus ever does. He just starts telling a random story. Nobody asked him for a story. Nobody, nobody said, hey, do you have an example to share with us about that? Jesus is just a storyteller that is often unprompted. And he says to them this parable. He says, there was once a rich man who had an abundance of crops, but not enough place to store them all. So he decided to tear down his storage places and build bigger ones. The rich man said, once I have built those, I will have plenty of grain to last me the rest of my years, and then I'll be good, and I'll just live my merry life however I want to. And God said to the rich man, you are a fool. You are going to die tonight. Then who is going to get all that you have worked to gain for yourself? And Jesus ended the story and said, this is how it will be for all of those who store things up for themselves. It's kind of an abrupt ending to the story and to our text. But it's very convicting, is it not? It calls to question a number of common practices about retirement and about the ways in which we do professional 
things and receive payments and save money for things. People can use this text to justify a whole number of type of behaviors. And instead of getting into a in-depth analysis of what this means for our 401ks or what this means for our financial realities, I think that there might be a more universal message that applies throughout time because this is a word that spoke to people before they had their IRAs and can speak to us now. And it reminds me of the series we just came out of, doesn't it? We just finished this like really convicting work about James and how like James calls us to be holy and to sacrifice for ourselves and care for the vulnerable and not worry about ourselves. And we skipped over a part in James 4 because I knew it was gonna come up today. But listen how similar this is. This is why it's a very Holy Spirit-esque that we put these two series together and it just happened to be these verses. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to the, uh, tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. What you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James and Luke, they're both carrying these very important messages that speak to an undeniable reality. One that we're all faced with every day but often think about or rarely think about. We are reminded that life is incredibly short. We are not immortal. Life, if anything, is temporary. We are but a mist, a vapor. And therefore, Jesus emphasizes that life is more than just what we can attain. If you are here for just a short while, why are we spending so much of our time worried about how much we can just accumulate? And next week, we'll talk more about this idea of possessions. But he said, you never know when your life will be over. It could be taken from you this very night. Most of us know this reality all too well, right? Maybe not for ourselves, but I think of Jim Fulmer who passed away this morning. He was just with us in church a few weeks ago. He's so full of joy and excitement and he fell and now he's gone and it is unbelievably sad. I think of loved ones I've lost unexpectedly Friends who were gone too soon, as we say. There are probably no persons in this room who have not been affected by an untimely death. And it is a reminder that we are not in as much control as we would like to be. And that we are but a mist here today, gone tomorrow. It's kind of humbling, is it not? It's also... It can be fatalistic, right? It can be hard to escape this defeatism of from dust we came to dust we will return. It could be gone tomorrow. We are but a vapor. Like Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And it sometimes can be just hard to live in this world and say, in the grand scheme, what does it all matter? What are we doing here? But I would like to offer a word of encouragement and a challenge for us in light of these realities that should not be depressing. 
I'm not here to tell you, hey, go do whatever you want because it's not gonna last very long. I'm here to say that, that Christ offers us these words of reality so that we can take life in fullness for all it is worth and use it to make the kingdom of God known on earth as it is in heaven. And so what does that mean for us? If accumulation and building bigger barns is not the most excellent use of our times, perhaps an alternative is that simple point we began our sermon with. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think one of the most important things we can offer the world and to others is our presence. To be among and with people. To recognize that the power of being present can transform people's lives. Being there with somebody matters. It affects their soul. It can give them hope. We often measure our success in life and our worth in life based on wealth or our job or our intellect. We use these factors to gauge whether or not a person has contributed something during their short time on earth. But very little of those hours at work and very little of the time we spend accumulating things can impact the world nearly as much as being present with others, as intentionally being with somebody and listening to them, to letting them know that you care, whether it's a spouse or a friend, or a parent, or a stranger. The power of presence, being with people, is transformational. No matter who you are, no matter what gifts you think you have, no matter what your intelligence or your net worth, everybody can offer the ministry of presence. Doing something worthwhile doesn't have to be about how wealthy you are or about how strong you are. People don't care how smart you are if you're not willing to be with them. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Let me ask you, when a tragedy happened in your life, when you went through a difficult season of struggle and turmoil, what do you remember the most about that time? Aside from the heartache and the pain, what I remember is not when somebody tried to say something really wise to me. Oftentimes, people are just trying to be comforting, but they end up saying something very hurtful unintentionally. As you're going through tragedy and somebody says, don't worry, everything happens for a reason. Or they say something like, you know, God just needed to make this terrible thing happen to you so that something better could happen. And you sit in that reality and you're like, that is not comforting at all. You know it is comforting. Presence, being there, crying together. A text message that says, I'm so sorry and I love you. That matters. The things I remember most are not the wisdom or theological explication people try to give me during times of difficulty but the ministry of presence. And so I'll say this to you. I pray that we are a church that is not so focused on being right that we miss the chance to be there.
I pray that we are a church that looks across the landscape of our lives and says, I wanna do something that matters. I wanna do something worthwhile. And we recognize that it's not just about how much money we make or not about how smart we are or not about what car we drive or where we live. It's about who can I be there for and how can I be there for them? Jesus says, our time on here on this earth is not very long. And the things that we think matter, they really don't. But what can matter is being present. So I pray that we are that church. I know that we are that church because I've experienced it. So may we continue to be there for all people at all times. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.